Well, good morning, Believe Church family. It's so good to have you guys here joining us for our virtual Sunday service. And uh, before we uh, get started, I also wanted to thank everybody for your birthday wishes and uh, your greetings and the gifts that you gave me. I did celebrate my 45th uh, birthday yesterday. Uh, I was telling somebody that I, I turned 45 uh, but I feel 35, and then they said, yeah, and you also look 25. And I said, thank you, I do, right? I mean, no? Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe, yes, maybe, you do. Maybe 26, 27 or so. <laughs> now, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys. You know, the Bible says that um, that the joy of the Lord be the strength of our hearts, and uh, without everything that is going on in our world today, we need to have the joy of the Lord, which is not based on circumstances it is based on the truth, on the knowledge of God's word and his principles and his promises that he has made for us. And so we still want to have the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of all that is going on here. So that's why we are here. That's why we have come to celebrate his holy name, to praise him and give all glory on and praise to him. You know, it is interesting. Somebody was asking me this. They said, Pastor, is this a part of end time prophecy? And what they meant by that was this. We know that Jesus said that there would be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines and pestilence throughout. But then he said the end is not yet. He says, no, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached all over the world, then the end will come. And now because of this virus, it has caused the word of God to go viral. So many churches now are going online to get the word of God out there. And so literally this virus has caused the word of God to go viral. So even though we are still closed in, we are grateful that we can still get the word out to you guys. So that's why we're here. My wife is going to lead us in worship in the presence of almighty God. So we want you guys to really focus on these songs that we're going to sing. I believe they are timely. Don't just sing these songs, but focus on what we are actually proclaiming and uh, declaring unto the Lord with these. So let's take a, a moment just to go before the altar of God in a time of prayer. And I would encourage you just to take whatever need you have, whatever anxiety, whatever worry, doubt, or fear, whatever your heart is heavy with right now, we want you just to lay it at the altar of God, as it were. And as we begin to pray for you and pray over this service, we're going to ask that God will do what he said. He said, if you cast your cares upon me, I'll take care of them because I care for you. So let us cast all of our cares on upon the Lord today that our hearts and our minds may be free to worship and to praise and to receive all that God has for us this morning. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for blessing us and giving us this opportunity, not only to gather uh, in your presence, but to usher your presence in this place and throughout the airwaves as well. And we are praying right now for the hearts and the minds and even the bodies, the physical well-being of your people at this time. We know, God, that these things will happen because we live in a fallen world. But you told us to be of good cheer for you have already overcome the world. And so in you, God, we may have the peace 
that we need. And so we're asking that you will give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. You will give us that unspeakable joy, uh, God, that doesn't even make sense, God. But you will just fill our hearts with so much comfort, confidence, and assurance that you are still on the throne. You are still sovereign over all things in full and total control. And because our lives are in your hands, we have nothing to worry about and nothing to fear. So take over this service. Have your way in this place as we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. I can't wait uh, for the day to come when the church can gather again together and praise and worship Almighty God the way we were intended to do. I mean, this this is okay for the meantime. <laughs> this is getting us by, but I can't wait for the day when we can all get back together in the house of God as the people of God to worship God as the King that He is. And so. We want to thank you for joining us again and for spending that time and worshiping and praising Almighty God with us, for he is worthy. And I'm reminded of I had a uh, prayer uh, Zoom meeting with a few pastors of the city uh, about the uh, outbreak. And what God had placed on my heart was this. Many right now are praying Second Chronicles 7.14. Second Chronicles 7.14 simply says, if my people who are called by my name. Well, what name? Yahweh. The great I am, the name that God had revealed to Moses on the mountain uh, through the burning bush. It is that name that is above every name. It is that name that has the power to protect us, to provide for us, to heal us, to give us our peace and our comfort and our rest, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that we see. But I also reminded the pastors that we can quote Second Chronicles 7:14, but we have to also be willing to include verse 13. Because verse 13 says this: God says, When I close heaven, when I shut up the heavens where there is no rain, and when I allow locusts to come and devour your land, and when I send forth pestilence upon my people. Then, if my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, it is then and only then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive them of their sin, and I will heal their land. So while we are all hoping, praying, and believing for God to heal our land, let us also not forget why our land is in need of healing in the first place. Why our land is in need of God showing up and working a miracle in the first place. Because we have forsaken the living God. We have turned away from him. We have lived contrary to his ways and his word. And so God simply says, if my people, not just the world, he's not even talking about the world. He simply says, if my people who are called by my name, Yahweh, the great I am, if they would just pray, if they would just return to me, I would return to them. If they would just seek my face, if they would just turn from their wicked ways, it would be enough to heal their land and forgive them of their sin. If you remember, this is what Abraham prayed about Sodom and Gomorrah. 
God says, if you can just find but 10 righteous people, <laughs> that those 10 righteous people will be enough for me to save Sodom and Gomorrah. And sadly and unfortunately, Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people. Can God find what he is needing at this time to save a nation, to save a world? We are praying and believing that the church, the true people of God, will rise up at this time to pray, to call out, to seek God's face, to turn from their wicked ways so that God may hear from heaven. He may forgive us of our sin and that he may heal us of this disease in our land. So that's what we are praying for and believing for, and we hope that you do the same with us. This is around the time that we would continue to worship God, even in our giving, that of our tithes and of our offerings, or whatever God has placed in your heart to give at this moment. We do now have a website, believechurch.cc, believechurch.cc. So if you're not on the website now, you can go to that particular website. We only have two buttons so far, watch now and give now. And if you click on give now, you will see four different ways that you can give to not only this ministry, but to the work that is done in this ministry and ultimately contributing to the advancement of the kingdom of God. So you can give online. You can also text to give. You can uh, give by mail and you can also drop off your gift on Sunday mornings from 1030 to 11. But we want to continue to worship and praise God even in our giving to give back to God that which he has given unto us. So as he said in his word, there may be food in his house and that we may have an abundance for every good work. So whatever the Lord is placing your heart to do at this time, we pray that you will simply be obedient to that and give unto the Lord. Let us go ahead and go before the Lord today to pray over your gift, pray over your offering, as well as today's lesson. And then we'll begin. Father, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us. Yahweh. The great I am, the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We cry out to you, the only true God, who is able to do all that we are needing at this time, both physical and financial, mentally and spiritually. We're praying that you will intervene on our behalf, God. And as we give unto you today this offering, we are simply giving unto you that which you have given first to us. So we're praying, God, at this time that you will increase it, you will multiply it, and you will bless both the gift as well as the giver. Increase and multiply them both, that there may be food in your house and that we may have all that we need to do all that you've called and purposed us to do for our good and your glory. Now, God, we pray that you will watch over your word See that it does what you have predestined it to do even before the foundation of the world. May it never return unto you void, but may it accomplish what you've set it to do for our good and your glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen, amen. Well, last week we took you to English class. We took you back to English class and we showed you how the 70th week of Daniel will be compared to an oxymoron, okay? The 70th week of Daniel is going to be compared to an oxymoron because it will be the best of times and the worst of times all at the same time, okay? Well, today we're going to go back to another English lesson 
that you may recall or remember from English class. This time we're going to talk about the lesson cause and effect. Cause and effect or something happening as a result of a prior event happening. And it's said in different ways. In science, it's said this way. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In slang, we used to grow up saying this. What goes around, comes around. In agriculture, it's said this way. You will reap what you sow. In philosophy, we say it this way, you will get what you deserve. Well, all of these, simply put, are examples of cause and effect. Or one thing happening as a result of another happening. So up until this point, in the 70th week of Daniel, it has been persecution for the people of God. We said last week that there will be people who will be saved during the seventh week of Daniel. They will hear the word of God. They will see all the things that they heard about before this happened, and they will come to believe in Jesus Christ and his lordship. They will become disciples and followers, but it's going to come at a price, and the price is persecution. So up until this point, it has been persecution for the people of God and peace, quote-unquote peace, for everybody else. But now there's going to be this one single isolated event that is going to change all that. This one single isolated event is going to cause God to come and flip the switch. To flip the script as it were, one action that is going to cause a reaction by God himself. And it has a catchy name the name of this event is called the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation. My family, they like to make fun of me because of my linguistics when it comes to me preaching with my titles and my words and phrases. I like to use rhyming words and words that sound the same or begin with the same letter or end the same way. But we see in God's word that it's not that strange because God does the same thing. In the book of Daniel, when Daniel gives his vision or his prophecy, he says this, these were the visions in your head while you laid in your bed. <laughs> so Daniel was the original Dr. Seuss, okay? He did the same thing. But we're going to see how Jesus too is going to use the same style in describing this particular event because he calls it the abomination of desolation or the abomination that is going to cause desolation. So today we're going to continue in our journey through the 70th week of Daniel, or the last seven years on earth before the king comes back. It is known as the tribulation period, but at this particular point, the name is going to be changed to the great tribulation. Okay? We're moving from the tribulation period to now the great tribulation. Tribulation simply means trouble. Okay? Tribulation means trouble. And these seven years are going to be filled with trouble, but nothing like at this particular point. At this particular point, the name now given for this part of the tribulation is going to be called the great 
tribulation, speaking of the time of trouble like the world has never seen. It is because of this cause and effect called the abomination of desolation. So we're going to continue our series, The Sealed Revealed, with part eight of our series. We're simply going to call the abomination of desolation, the abomination of desolation. Now, if you recall with God's divine timeline, we know that the tribulation will last a total of seven years. Okay, the tribulation period is going to last a total of seven years, but those seven years will be broken up into two halves. Okay, the seven year period is going to be broken up into two different halves. Daniel will call it this way. He will say it will be a time, a times, and half a time. A time would be one year. Times would be two years, and half a time would be half a year for a total of three and a half years. If you go to Revelation, John would describe it this way. He would say there would be 1,260 days or 42 months, which equals three and a half years. Both Daniel and John are emphasizing a significant moment, a significant event, Halfway through this seven-year period, halfway through the tribulation, they are both prophesying that there is something that is going to be so significant, so great, that they've broken up the seven-year period into two halves to distinguish one half from the other. So what is this event? What is the abomination of desolation. Well, it is found in a few places in the Bible, but let's first go to the first place it is found in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. If you go to Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 27, Daniel says this about what the Antichrist is going to do. It says in Daniel 9:27, then he, the Antichrist or the beast, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, that is not one week of days, it is one week of years, one seven-year period. But watch this. He says, but in the middle of the week, okay, not on a Wednesday, but at the three-and-a-half-year period, in the middle of this week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. What does all that mean? What is going on here? Well, the Antichrist has risen to power and he has made the world one by bringing, quote-unquote, peace, not only to the world, but even peace to the Middle East. The Antichrist is going to be able to do what no one in history has been able to do, and that is to bring Israel and Palestine together to an agreement where they will agree on a peace treaty for seven years where they will actually share the Holy Land. They will share Jerusalem. They will share the Temple Mount. And because they're going to be able to come together in peace for these seven years and share the Holy Land and share Jerusalem and share the Temple Mount, the Israelites are going to be able to rebuild the Temple of God. Okay, 
the Bible says, they're, how do we know they're going to be able to rebuild it? Because the Bible says the Antichrist is going to stop all sacrifices and offerings. Well, how do you know you can't stop something if it hadn't started? <laughs> and right now, the Jews are not sacrificing or offering anything. Why? Because they don't have a temple to offer the sacrifice in. So because of this scripture and other scriptures, we know the temple of God is going to be rebuilt again. The temple of God is going to be rebuilt. They're going to come in. They're going to be able to resume sacrifices and offerings and the worship of their God. And so this will happen, declares the Lord. Now, why is this such a significant event, though? The rebuilding of God's temple. Well, because the temple of God is our connection with God. Okay? Let me say that again. The temple of God is our connection with God. Let me give you a little history on the temple of God. The very first temple of God was not Solomon's temple. The very first temple of God was not even the tent in the wilderness with Moses. The very first temple temple of God on earth or dwelling place or tabernacle of God on earth was mankind, was Adam. The Bible says that God formed and fashioned man from the dust of the earth and then he breathed life into Adam. What was he breathing? He wasn't just breathing air. He was breathing his own spirit into Adam. Therefore, Adam, mankind, became the very first tabernacle or temple or dwelling place on earth for Almighty God. But then we know what happened. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. They became sinful beings. And so the spirit had to go. The spirit departed from Adam. But God still wanted to dwell with his people and interact with his people without destroying his people. So what he does when he delivers his people out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, he causes Moses to erect another tabernacle or a tent in the wilderness. It had the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And when Moses did this, the Bible says, and the Shekinah glory showed up. The Shekinah glory is the manifest presence of God who shows up and fills the Holy of Holies. And so from the temple being a man in the garden to a tent in the wilderness, it was on David's heart to build God an actual house. God says, you won't do it. You're a man of war. Your son Solomon is going to do it. And Solomon would be the one to build the brick and mortar temple of God in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, we know that that temple was destroyed. You've been following along with us through the book of Daniel. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, they came, they defeated Israel, they burned down Jerusalem and the temple. It was destroyed. It would later be rebuilt through the stories of Nehemiah and Ezra. Remember those stories. It, Jerusalem would be rebuilt. The temple would be rebuilt again, but it will then be destroyed again in A.D. 70 by Rome. The Romans would come in in A.D. 70. They would completely gut out the temple, burn down Jerusalem, and just like Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon the other. And that is exactly what happened. So now for over 2,000 years, 
Israel has been without their temple. For over 2,000 years, Israel has been without their place where they can meet with God because that's what the temple did. The temple of God allowed you to connect with God, to pray, to worship, to sacrifice, to give offerings where their sins were forgiven and atoned for. All of that took place in the temple of God. And so the temple of God represents the presence of God. That's what it is. The temple of God represents the presence of God and everything that comes with his presence, his power, his peace, his protection, his provision, his prosperity. Everything that comes with God's presence is represented in the temple of God. So Israel has been without their temple without their place to meet with God and connect with God for over 2,000 years now. (laughs) It is why they wail at the wall. If you go to uh, Jerusalem, you go to the Temple Mount, you will see this wall. It is the western wall because it is the closest thing they have uh, to the temple. The western wall stood behind the temple. They no longer have the temple. All they have is the western wall that stood behind it. So you see people all day, every day going to this western wall or wailing wall to pray and try and connect to God. Why? Because the temple is no longer there. But at this particular time, the temple is going to be rebuilt. At this particular time, it is going to be rebuilt. Now, we as Christians, we as believers, we know we don't have to wait for that. We don't have to wait for that. Why? Well, because we don't understand that Jesus was the temple of God on earth. Jesus Christ was the temple of God on earth while he was on earth. That's why, if you remember, he goes, he stands before the temple, and he says, destroy this temple... And I'll raise it up again in three days. They said, what what are you talking about? It took us over 40 years to build this temple. You're going to destroy it and raise it up in, in in three days? He says, yes, exactly, because he was not talking about brick and mortar. He was talking about himself. Why? Because God does not dwell in houses made with the hands of men. He does not dwell in brick and mortar. He dwells in living tone, living stones, living temples. And that's why when Jesus left and he sends the Holy Spirit to us, his church, we now have become the temple of God on earth. This is what Paul says. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? Therefore, present your bodies as such because the spirit of God dwells in you. We now, the church, the called out ones, the people of God who are representing God, we have now become living stones or the temple of the living God. So we don't have to wait for this brick and mortar temple to be rebuilt. But the Jews who do not believe do. The Jews who rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they do have to wait for this brick and mortar temple to be rebuilt. So the temple is everything to them because it is symbolic of God's presence. So to be able to have this temple rebuilt is like heaven coming to earth literally. 
Because that's exactly what happened each and every time a temple was erected. Heaven came to earth. The Shekinah glory showed up. God's presence filled the temple. So to have the temple of God rebuilt again is going to be like heaven coming to earth literally. And after 2,000 years, it is going to happen. Israel or the Jews will once again have their temple where they can go in and fully worship God again. It is going to happen. Now, remember, all of this is for the sake of peace. Okay, remember, one ruler, one resource, one religion. And the one religion that is going on at this time is every religion is right and all is allowed. Doesn't matter who you worship, doesn't matter how you worship, doesn't matter what you worship, every religion is right and all is allowed. Everybody will be free and able to worship who they want how they want, when they want at this time. That is until the three and a half year mark. At the three and a half year mark, at the 1260th day or the 42nd month, the three and a half year mark of this seven year uh, tribulation period, that abruptly is going to change. (laughs) The mask of beauty will be taken off And the beast will be revealed. This Antichrist, this one world ruler who gained the affection of all the world and the the fame of everyone and everybody is is praising him and, and thanking him and following him and all that because he appears to be a beauty. And even Israel, even the Jews are going to fall for his beauty. For if he was able to bring peace to the Middle East, if he was able to bring permission to for them to rebuild the temple, why not would they follow him and support him and and uh, give their their devotion to him if they're if he's letting them worship their God like they want. That is going to happen, but at this three and a half year mark, he is going to remove the mask of beauty and he is going to reveal the beast that he really is. Because the Bible says in Daniel, in the middle of the week, he is going to stop all sacrifices. He is going to stop all offerings, stop all worship altogether. The abomination of desolation is not only found in the book of Daniel, but is also found in the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, this is what Jesus says about this time. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, there it is. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so he's referring back to what Daniel said, standing in the holy place. Well, what's the holy place? The temple. The temple of God or the holy of holies in the temple is the holy place. Jesus said when you see what Daniel spoke of, the abomination that causes desolation, Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. 
And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. In other words, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of Dodge. Why? Because it's about to go down. Okay, that's what God is saying. In verse 19, he says, but woe to those who are pregnant. And to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath when nobody works. For then, watch this, then there will be great tribulation. Remember what tribulation means. Tribulation means trouble. At this particular time, God says there will be great tribulation. Such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be able to be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God says the abomination of desolation is the cause and effect. Okay? It is an event that is so abominable, so disrespectful, so blasphemous to God that it is going to cause a desolation or a great tribulation like the world has never seen, Jesus said. Now think about that statement for a little bit. <laughs> Trouble like this world has never seen? I mean, worse than the first flood and worse than any and every natural disaster this world has seen from earthquakes to famines to locusts to tornadoes to hurricanes. You're saying even worse than yet. Jesus saying even worse than that. Even worse than any war that we've seen, we've had the Revolutionary War, we've had the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, all these wars. God says, worse than that. <laughs> you mean worse than every persecution that this world has faced, from the Inquisitions to the Crusades to the Taliban to uh, 9-11 to the Holocaust? Well, 10 million people lost their lives, 6 million Jews. God says, worse than that. You mean worse than all the diseases that these, this world has seen from the black peg uh, to smallpox and uh, Spanish flu and AIDS and cancer and coronavirus? God says worse than that. This trouble that is going to come as about from this abomination of desolation is going to be great trouble like the world has never seen. So if we are freaking out about coronavirus, <laughs> can you imagine living in this time? If we are pulling out our hair, those who have it, if we are pulling out our hair now worried about what's going on with coronavirus. Can you imagine living in a time that the world has never seen? God says that is going to happen. That is going to happen because of the abomination of desolation. Okay, so your question may then be, well, what is it exactly? What is the abomination that causes desolation? In Revelation 13, we looked at this a little bit last week, but let's go back to it. Revelation chapter 13, starting in verse 14, this is what God says. 
And he deceives, let's talk about the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth, here it is, to make an image to the beast. The false prophet is going to get those of the world at that time to make an image of the beast. Okay, So think of a statue of some sort. Who was wounded by the sword and lived. Verse 15. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak, and here it is, and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. When you take what Daniel said about the abomination of desolation, and you take what Jesus said about the abomination of desolation, and you take what John now has said in Revelation about the abomination of desolation, then you get what the abomination of desolation actually is. Simply put, what the abomination of desolation is, is this. At the three and a half year point, at the 1260th day, or the 42nd month of this period, the Antichrist is going to go into God's own house, the temple of God he allowed the Jews to build. He's going to walk into God's own house and he is going to stop all religion and all worship of anyone or anything but him. Up until this point, you can worship who you want, you can worship how you want, you can worship when you want. But at this particular time, the Antichrist is going to go into God's own house. He's going to erect this image in the holy place, the Bible says. Because Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, (laughs) you know it's time. He is going to go into God's own house, the temple of God, go into the holy of holies and erect the image of himself. He's going to cease all sacrifice, cease all worship, cease all religion. He's going to look them all in the eye and he says, look at me, look at me. I am your God. (laughs) I am your God now. And it will be then when Israel will know they've been had. It will be then when Israel will know they've been duped. They fell for the okey-doke, okay? (laughs) They fell for it (laughs) because what they falsely accused Christ of doing, the Antichrist is actually going to do. What do they accuse Christ of doing? They accuse Christ of blaspheming, okay? You being a man, making yourself to be God. Well, Jesus was God, is God, will forever be God, so it wasn't blasphemous. So they falsely accused him of that. But what they falsely accused Jesus of doing, the Antichrist is going to actually do. Because he, being a man, is going to walk into the house of God and claim that he is God. And when that happens, all hell literally breaks loose on this earth. 
When that happens, when the abomination of desolation takes place, when the Antichrist goes into God's own house, erects the image of himself, stops all religion, all worship, says, I am your God, you worship me, you have no other God but me. In God's own house, that is the most disrespectful thing that could happen. And as a result of that, all hell is literally going to break loose out on this earth. The cup of God's wrath, which has been filling up and filling up and filling up and filling up, will now become full and completely poured out on this world. The Bible talks about this in Revelation. We're not studying Revelation, so we won't go through all these, but it talks about the seven seals being broken open. It talks about the seven trumpets being blown. It talks about the seven bowls being poured out of all these plagues. And these plagues, when this happens, it will make the plagues of Egypt look like a day in Disneyland. When God begins to unleash his wrath on this world, it's going to make what he did in Egypt look like a day in Disneyland. The Bible says in Revelation that men are going to want to die, but cannot die. They're going to cry out to the mountains. They're going to say, mountains, fall on us. Hide us from the face of God, for his day of vengeance is upon us. His day of wrath has come to us. They're going to want to die, the Bible says, but be unable to die. Now, I want you to imagine a time like this. Imagine unbridled evil. Un, unbridled evil of not only men, but demons as well happening at this time. There's a movie called The Purge. I don't recommend it, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, where for 12 hours, all crime was legal. <laughs> so for 12 hours, you had all this evil taking place uh, in, in this particular nation at this time. Well, God says when this great tribulation happens, it will be like that, but so much worse. And it won't last but 12 hours. It will last for three and a half years. Three and a half years, God's wrath is going to be poured out on this world. The Bible also talks about cosmic disturbances that the world has never seen. Cosmic disturbances that even Hollywood couldn't depict. <laughs> the Bible talks about an unrest that would make Stephen King seem like Mother Goose. <laughs> When this thing happens, when this thing takes off and God pours out all of his wrath that has been stored up for the wicked, it is going down and it is a time and a place where you do not want to be here for. Now, the obvious question that a lot of people have about this is this. Why in the world would God allow this? Why in the world would God do this? Why in the world would God unleash so much tribulation and trouble on this world. Why would he do that? Well, in Romans 1.18, Romans 1.18 gives us the reason. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. From this particular scripture, we get three reasons why God is going to do this. Three reasons why God is going to allow this. First of all, to show the world. Number two, to try the world. And then number three, 
to judge the world. No three reasons. To show the world, to try the world, and to judge the world. In Romans 1, you will see a particular phrase that comes up three different times. The phrase that says this, and God gave them up. (laughs) And God gave them up. He gave them up to a debased mind. He gave them up to uh, vile passions. He gave them up to uncleanness. Three times you see where God says, and God gave them up. So what does that mean? Simply means that God is simply going to give the world what the world wants. And that is a world without him. What the world wants at this time is a world without him. That's why Christians are hated. That's why they don't want to hear the word of God. That's why they want to take down the Ten Commandments. That's why they want you to keep your message in the four walls of your church. Why? Because the world does not want God. Well, at this time during the Great Tribulation, God is finally going to get out of the way and finally give the world what the world wants. A world without him. But what the world doesn't understand and what you and I need to understand is this. It is God that holds this world up. (laughs) It is God that is keeping this world together. And it is God who is keeping evil at bay. So just let God get out of the way and see what happens. (laughs) See what takes place. Well, At this time, the world is going to see it because God is finally going to give the world what it wants to show the world they will not want what they're going to get. That's why you got to be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Well, in this time, the world is going to get it. They're going to get a world without God. And it is going to bring so much evil, so much unrest and unruliness to this world It is going to be a great time of trouble like the world has never seen. So that's the first reason why God's going to do it, to simply show the world what the world would be without him. The second reason the Bible says God is going to do this is to try the world, to try the world. Revelation 3.10, God says this. We're going to look at it next week as well. But God says this, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of what? Trial. The hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world, here it is, to test those who dwell on the earth. Reason number two why God is going to allow this great tribulation is to test those who are on the earth. Because just like today, you will have then quote-unquote, people who claim to be Christians. People who claim to be Christians, who claim to know the Lord, who claim to be saved, and they don't know God from Adam. And they believe that they are saved because somebody said, if you just repeat this prayer, you're saved. Or if you raise your hand, if you come down an aisle, you're saved. Never mind repenting, never mind turning from your sin, never mind forsaking the way and direction you were going and fully giving your life to Christ. Never mind truly believing in your heart. The Bible says, Jesus says on that day, everybody who calls me Lord will not enter the kingdom of God. 
For you will have many on that day. God says many on that day who say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonders and works and miracles in your name? And God is going to declare to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. God says, I never knew you. So there are a lot of people walking around thinking that they are Christians, believing that they are saved, and God is going to declare to them at the end, I never knew you depart from me. Well, just like there are many uh, quote-unquote Christians like that today, there will be those in this time as well. So what God is going to do, he's going to send forth this great tribulation to try the world or to test the world. In other words, so that the real may be revealed. Because when you have the option of either uh, being a Christian or eating, (laughs) many people will choose to eat. When you have the option of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ or losing your head, many people will say, no, I'll go ahead and save my life. Never mind. I'm not not a Christian. No, I, I worship you, beast. I worship you, Antichrist. I want to I keep my life. So God is going to allow great tribulation, just like he allows trouble today, to try the people, to test the people, to see who is really in the faith and who is really simply playing games with God. So God will allow this to happen, to try the world, to show the world, and then last but not least, to judge the world. To judge the world. Psalms 98.9. Psalms 98.9 says this. For he, speaking of Jesus Christ, for he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world. And the peoples with equity. God is coming back to judge the entire world. Yeah, people right now, they, they, they... Tell you all the time, don't judge me. Don't judge. You can't judge. Look, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. Matter of fact, I'm trying to keep you from being judged. Because the Bible says the judge is coming one day and he will judge the world. He will judge the quick and the dead. So by me coming to you and addressing your life and addressing the things you're doing, it's not me judging you. It's judging what you're doing. And it's not even me that's doing it because I'm using the word of God to do it. But I'm actually trying to keep you from being judged because the judge is coming one day and he's going to judge the world. Just like Lady Justice with those scales in her hands. With God, the scales must balance. The scales must balance. God is good. God is love. God is merciful. God is gracious. He's all those things. But he is also just. He is also righteous, which means he also must judge every sin and right every wrong. Because God is just and because God is holy and because God is righteous, he must judge every sin. He must right every wrong. Just like today, if we see somebody we believe they are guilty of a crime, but they get off, what do we say? We say, no justice. 
That judge wasn't just. That jury wasn't just. Well, God says, you will never say that about me. (laughs) You will never call me unjust because I am going to judge every sin and I'm going to right every wrong. And part of the reason of this great tribulation is to give God opportunity to do just that. To judge this world for the sin and the wickedness that they're in. But again, I don't believe we all will be here for this. And I'm going to further explain why next week as we get into Holy Week. But I'm going to show you why this is the exact reason why Christ came. This is the exact reason why Christ came to save us from sin, its power and also its penalty. And the great tribulation that is caused by the abomination of desolation is the penalty for sin. But Jesus Christ came to save us from the power of sin but also from the penalty of sin as well. And so we're going to explain that next week and let you know why I believe we won't be here if you are found in Christ Jesus. Does anybody remember a day when we used to be able to spank our kids without going to jail? Y'all remember those days? (laughs) We could spank our kids without going to jail. We could whoop our kids when they disobeyed or misbehaved. Without having to go to jail, okay? Those are the good old days, right? (laughs) But remember how your parents would do it. They wouldn't just spank you at the time. They would, at at times, give you warnings, right? They would give you a warning. They would say things like, all right, keep it up. (laughs) Keep it up. All right. (laughs) I told you already. Keep it up. They would give the kids warnings before they unleash the wrath on them, right? And then sometimes, every now and then, they would just give a little swat. Pow! Right? And what would they say? That's just a sample, okay? (laughs) That's just a sample, okay? That's just a little taste of what's going to come if you keep doing what you're doing. Well, we being God's children, God does the same thing with us. By his mercy and by his grace, he gives us warning before the wrath comes. He gives us a little taste of what is to come, a little sample of what's coming so that we will not see the wrath of God that is coming. Could it be that coronavirus is just a little taste? Could it be that COVID-19 is just a, a little sample of this great tribulation? Could God be waking us up and getting our attention and warning us and giving us a little swat and say, okay, keep it up, keep it up. You don't want the full wrath of God to come. It is God's mercy and it is God's grace. It is God's forbearance that he gives us this warning and this opportunity to get things right with him now while we still can. So we never, ever, ever have to experience any kind of God's wrath. That's what he has done. So my challenge to you and God's challenge to all of us this morning is that we would simply respond to the warning. We would simply respond to the warning. God is speaking and he is speaking loud and clear. And he is getting the 
attention of the world. No matter how you think this is going or what is a result of, regardless, we are here. (laughs) The whole world is being affected by this. And therefore, God has now our undivided attention. And if he does not have our undivided attention now, he knows how to turn up the knob. He knows how to turn up the dial a little bit more until he has our attention. So God is telling us at this time, heed the warning, respond to the warning, respond to the little sample, the little taste that I'm giving you so that you don't ever have to worry about what is to come. That is God's challenge to us. As we close in prayer at this time, we want to give you now an opportunity to make some decisions in light of what you've heard. I'm going to speak into the camera now. The reason why we preach the way that we preach and do what we do, we preach the word of God, we give you the good, the bad, and the ugly, is for a few reasons. Number one, I don't want your blood to be on my hands. Paul said this. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I gave you the good, the bad, and the ugly. I gave you what you wanted to hear, but also what you needed to hear. I didn't just sugarcoat it. I didn't just give you the things that make you feel good. I gave you everything that God gave me to give to you so that now my hands are clean. I am not guilty of the blood of any man because I've shared with him the full counsel of God. And that's why I preach the way that I preach. That's why I do what I do because I'm accountable to this. I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to have to give an account to whether or not I fed his sheep and I warned his people and I said, what thus says the Lord. So that's the first reason why we minister the way we minister. But the second reason is because of our genuine care and concern for you. We don't want anybody to have to go through what is known as the great tribulation. We don't want anybody to have to experience or feel the wrath of God for themselves. Therefore, we give you God's word. And then we simply get out of the way and allow God be God and allow his spirit to do in your heart what he's going to do. And I believe through these airwaves, he is knocking at the door of your heart right now. He is speaking to you. And you've heard them before, and like the word says, you've been suppressing it and ignoring it. But at this time, God has allowed you to tune into this broadcast. That you may hear this warning one more time. That you may have the opportunity to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ while you still can. So we encourage you, we implore you to do that at this time, wherever you are. Confess your sins before a holy God. He is willing to forgive you of them. Every sin that you've ever committed, past sins, present sins, even future sins that you haven't committed yet, he is willing to take them and separate them from you as far as the east covers the west or is is from the west. To throw them in the sea, never to remember or bring them up again. To make you holy as he is holy. To fill you with his spirit, to give you a new heart and a new nature that is found in Christ. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess him with your mouth.
So wherever you are, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, make the decision today, right now, while you still can, to do so. We also want to pray for the church. For those of us who are blood-bought, spirit-filled, already on our way to heaven, praise God, rejoice for that. But let's also be about our Father's business. Let's warn the world of what was, what is, and what the Bible says is to come. And let's let the world know that whether this thing passes or not, or whether something else worse is on the other side of it, there is a way that you can be ready to face whatever it is in this life that is coming our way. And that is by being found in Christ and having your hope, your trust, your anchor in him. And so let us not grow weary while doing good. Let us continue to stay strong and courageous, keep the faith, and continue to do the good work God has called and purposed us to do for the good of those we're going to reach and for ultimately his glory, that God may be glorified in us, to us, and even through us. Well, that is our prayer for you. We are so grateful again that we've had this honor and privilege to be able to serve you in this way and to speak life and encouragement and instruction in your life. We pray that you have been blessed by it. If you have been blessed, and again, we want to uh, have you consider being a blessing back to us. So if you haven't already, please visit our website, believechurch.cc. There you are able to watch, you're able to give, you're able to share, like, comment, subscribe, and be in the know of all that is going on with Believe Church. Uh, we also encourage you to tune in on Wednesday, where we're going to continue our series on the minds of the mind. It's been an awesome series, and we're going to continue that this Wednesday. So tune in at 7 o'clock. We'll continue that. And then be back here again next Sunday at 11 a.m., where we're going to begin what is affectionately known as Holy Week. Okay, There's going to be a time you don't want to miss, even if it's virtual. And so wherever you are, I just want you to close in with God, receive the blessing or the benediction of the Lord. It is found in Galatians 6, 7. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, where God simply says this. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, his sinful carnal nature, will of the flesh reap corruption. However, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God simply gives his cause and effect. He says no one gets away with anything and no good deed is done in vain. So may we all live in light of God's cause and effect. Wherever you are, just extend your hands to heaven. Receive the blessing of the benediction of the Lord and we'll close. Father, we thank you so much for not being silent at the time when we need you the most. But you are speaking to us. You are speaking to your people, your church, your bride. And you're even speaking and getting the attention of the world. So we pray at this time, God, that we would heed the warning. We will respond to it. By turning from our sin, forsaking the direction that we were going, 
calling out you and upon your name for you alone have the power and the authority to save us, especially in a time like this. So I pray, God, as your word has gone forth, by your word and through your spirit, you have brought salvation to many. You have brought healing and hope to the hearts and the minds and the lives of those who will receive and respond to the word and your spirit that you have given today. So as we prepare to close this broadcast, God, we pray that you will continue to be with us, to speak to us, to remind us that we now are the living temple of the living God. And with us being the temple, we know we have your presence, which includes everything that comes with it. Your power, your peace, your protection, your provision, your prosperity. So we thank you for that, for all that you are, all that you have done, and the promises that you have made that we're holding on to. Be glorified in us and through us, Lord. We pray and ask this all in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next time.